this Christmas season, we've had the privilege and the joy of going through the scriptures together around this theme of O Come Emmanuel. That's kind of been the, that's been the theme of our Christmas series this year. And so today, I invite you to take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. We read in our scripture reading this morning, Luke 2, uh, which tells us the, uh, the, the story of the night that Jesus was born and the message that went forth to the angels, uh, from the angels to the shepherds that they came to worship him. In Matthew, we find a uh, similar account in that it tells us the, the story of Jesus' birth, but it does so in a more abbreviated fashion. But what we see in this passage is what we've talked about all along, that, that Jesus is coming as Emmanuel, God with us. And that indeed is the title of today's message from Matthew 118, verses 18 through 25, God with us. I invite you to follow along as we read the scripture here this morning before we jump in to study it together. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with, to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a, a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Father, thank you for the opportunity we have to gather around your word over the next few minutes and study it together. Thank you for the truth of the word of God that you have preserved for us to read today. Thank you for the freedom we enjoy in our country to gather and worship you openly. And Lord, today we ask that you would speak to us through your word. That you would use the word of God to mold us and to make us, to change us more into the image of Jesus Christ, to convict us of sin, to draw us to you. And may we truly walk out of this place different than we came in today because we have heard the truth of God proclaimed. And your Holy Spirit has applied it to our hearts. Lord, I have no way of knowing the needs and the desires and the the, the wrestlings that go on in the hearts of each person in this room. But you do, and your word does not return void. And so I pray today you would use that word in our hearts. You would show one who has never trusted you as Savior, their need to come to you today. You would show Christians today the ways that we need to change in our lives, to live more for the kingdom of God, consumed with making disciples and living to the glory of God. Lord, we pray that you would have freedom to do your will in our hearts today. In your name we pray. Amen. What is the greatest Christmas present you've ever received? Perhaps you have been asked this before, and you have pondered that. What is the greatest Christmas present you've ever received? Your mind races back to a 10-speed bike, an enormous dollhouse, a a video game system, a diamond ring, or perhaps some other large or valuable item. Or maybe you are the more of the sentimental type, and you remember a, a homemade present from your child or grandchild that means more than money can ever buy. Christmas is a time of gifts. 
Many of you, probably in this room, have a tree in your house like ours surrounded by gifts wrapped in paper. And it is a time we fondly remember not only the gifts, but the people who gave us those gifts. However, no gift will ever come close to comparing what God gave to us in Jesus. He gave hope where once there was none. He gave peace where only strife prevailed. He gave life to the lifeless. He gave righteousness to the unrighteous. He gave grace to meet his holiness and justice. He gave us Jesus, God with us. And in the passage before us today, we see the promises of God finding their fulfillment in Emmanuel. And what we see here in in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25 is this. Jesus is Emmanuel, the fulfillment of God's greatest promises deserving of our personal faith and perpetual praise. All of the, the passages we've looked at over the last few weeks, with the passage in Genesis and Exodus and last week in Micah, they all pointed ahead to Jesus who is God with us. And and today we're going to reference a passage in Isaiah chapter 7, one we didn't cover uh, in those last messages because I knew we were going to get here eventually. Um, But we're going to see once again that Jesus is the one who fulfills all of God's promises. The promise to crush the head of the serpent, the promise to shed his blood to cover our sins and take away our sins, the promise that one day a, a mighty ruler will come and claim ultimate victory, all of these are met in Jesus. And, and Matthew, the gospel writer under inspiration of the scripture, uh, proclaims to us today that Jesus is indeed Emmanuel. And to see that, we're going to look at kind of the whole of what we may call the Christmas story to see the people who are involved, whom God uses, and the fulfillments that come about uh, through this as well. In verses 18 and 19 of Matthew chapter 1, we read about God's chosen couple that he would use in, in the most unlikely of ways to bring this about. In verse 18, we meet a young woman named Mary. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother, Mary, had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, something you need to understand, maybe to help you understand the context of Matthew, is Matthew presents Jesus as the king. He is the one who would come, as was promised to David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, he would sit on the throne of David. So therefore, Matthew's gospel opens with a genealogy of Jesus, emphasizing his descent from the line of David. You find that in the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. By human records, Jesus is the far-off grandson of David, Israel's greatest human king. So Matthew moves from this now into showing us who Jesus is and how he came. And our text that we read here today gives us a view of his birth and what that birth of Jesus means for us in our lives today. And you know, as only the scriptures can do, the miraculous happenings of Jesus' incarnation, they're all but understated in this passage, are they not? We read today in Luke chapter 2 the things that happen around the the birth of Jesus. And you read here, you get to Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, and you get one verse about Mary and the conception of Jesus. It's all these miraculous things, and it's, it's just this many words, right? You know, Matthew, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, states simply the incredible details of the virgin conception and birth of Jesus. You know, this is not an uncommon thing to see in Scripture. We, as human beings, spend incredible amounts of time 
trying to explain the veracity of miraculous occurrences. Well, no, if you think about it this way, you do this, and you think we spill copious amounts of ink defending the faith or making a case for the plausibility of truth. And, and please don't misunderstand me. There's, there's nothing wrong with apologetics and defending the faith. But understand this. God states in his word that which is simple fact. He does that from the very beginning of Scripture. If you open the Bible to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, you don't find a treatise on, now this is how we know God exists because X, Y, and Z. No, Genesis 1, 1 says very simply, in the beginning... God. The scripture presupposes that God exists because it is the truth of God from God himself. And so here in Matthew chapter 1, we see kind of the same thing. The the scripture doesn't spend time explaining how the events of Jesus' incarnation are even possible. It simply states, this is what happened. And you can take it to the bank because I am God and I have given you this. We can take scripture at face value. I think that's something too important for us to remember, not just today, but all throughout our scripture study. You can, our study of scripture, you can take scripture at face value. It says what it means, and it means what it says. And this, from its very beginnings, we read about Jesus here in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18, and We see that Jesus is a man unlike anyone else because he is more than just a mere man. And this begins with his own human parents' experiences. We're first introduced here in verse 18 to Mary, his mother. We we know that she was a woman living in Israel who is betrothed, the Bible tells us, to a man named Joseph. And again, perhaps you've heard some of these concepts or maybe you haven't, but understand that betrothal is something that's not quite comparable to what we have in our Western world today. Uh, I was just talking to someone this morning who was just sharing with me about their daughter who recently got engaged. And, And we have this idea of engagement here in our Western modern world, which is a wonderful thing. But understand an engagement, in in a way, can be broken off relatively easy, even if it may cost money and hardship. But with a betrothal, things in this society are a bit more complex and committed. You see, often here, parents arrange marriages for their children. And when they did, the couple would be betrothed. And betrothal is all but marriage when it comes to this type of relationship. The couple was not officially married. They did not live together, nor would they, nor would they live together until the official wedding ceremony. But the betrothal, which was a year-long, roughly a year-long period, was somewhat of a probationary period in which the couple was tested in their fidelity to one another. And during this period... Something miraculous happens to Mary. We read here that she is found to be with child. Now, Luke, in his gospel, goes into more detail about this. It is there that we read that the angel Gabriel was sent by God to Mary, who was living in Nazareth. And he assures her that she is not in danger, but is instead the recipient of God's gracious favor in her life. And he proceeds to tell her, what it is that will occur in her life. In Luke chapter 1, verses 30 through 33, we read, And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This is an incredible blessing and promise that God makes to Mary. However, biologically speaking, this doesn't make a lot of sense. 
Mary questions this, wondering how such a thing is possible. And that is when Gabriel goes on to tell her that this will be the work of the Holy Spirit in her life. You know, again, the scriptures make it clear that children, any children we enjoy in our lives, are a gift from God. And in this case, it's even more so, right? Because the Holy Spirit will bring about the conception of, the, of a baby in the womb of a virgin woman. And because of this act of God, because this is what will happen, the angel says that therefore the baby will then be born holy, the son of God. Now something we have to understand here, Mary is not a perfect person. Mary is a sinner, someone who is just like you and me. But though she was a sinner, God's mighty work will bring about a baby born untouched by that sin nature. Mary, though sinful and certainly uncertain of what lies ahead, we we would read further on in Luke chapter 1, she is nonetheless willing in these things to embrace the calling of God on her life. She recognizes God's grace in her heart and life and embraces God's calling on her life in this way. And that's exactly what this was. The God was calling on Mary to bear the Messiah. She would be the earthly mother of Jesus, who is God with us. His conception would be unlike any other child. It is a miraculous work by the Almighty God doing great and wondrous things in and through Mary's life. And so Matthew has introduced us to Mary, who now has been found with child, though he makes it clear this is a work of the Holy Spirit in her life. And now he introduces us in verse 19 to the other person in this couple. His name is Joseph. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Now, as you might have guessed, if this time of betrothal is a time of, of testing and for fidelity and, and that this is, this is a very serious thing, that the news of Mary's pregnancy would bring uneasiness in this relationship. It would also bring a, de- a great deal of shame with it. Again, I said earlier, we don't really have something akin to betrothal in our society because understand, it would take a formal divorce at this point to separate Joseph and Mary in their relationship. But however, though that's what it would take, it was certainly not acceptable for the woman to be pregnant before the official wedding ceremony. And so in every normal instance, understand that this pregnancy of Mary would communicate one of two things. One, either Mary and Joseph had not been obedient to God, engaging in immoral premarital relations, or that Mary had been unfaithful to Joseph, engaging in an illegitimate relationship with another man. Every normal relationship, that's what this would would communicate. And either of those actions is an extremely shameful thing in the eyes of God and then in their society. And in a culture that placed women near the bottom of the social ladder, This is not good news for Mary. Joseph, we learn here in verse 19, one of the first things we learn about him is he is, the Bible calls him, a just man. Now, what he's talking about there is that he is righteous, wanting to do what is right and obey God. Uh, One author calls it that, that Joseph, in the sense then, is an Old Testament saint. He's not a perfect man by any means, but he is faithful to the law of God. And understand that under Mosaic law, if a woman who is betrothed to a man is found to be pregnant, she is, is sentenced to be stoned to death for such actions. She could be killed for her 
premarital pregnancy as is typically belied her unfaithfulness in this situation. However, at the same time that we learn that Joseph is a just, a righteous man, we learn something else about him. We learn that he is also caring and compassionate towards Mary. He says, unwilling to put her to shame. He does not wish to bring shame upon Mary. He intends so to, to secretly divorce her. Their wedding would be off, and perhaps some of Mary's dignity would still be intact as she would be allowed to live on and raise the child whom she now carries. And we wonder, we read these things and we wonder, what was the conversation like between these two when these things came to light? Perhaps Mary shared with Joseph what she had experienced, and he had a hard time believing it. Perhaps Joseph had not even had the opportunity to hear it from Mary yet and had begun to make these plans in his heart. But what he purposed to do, understand when he says he would divorce her quietly, what he was purposing to do was neither wrong nor improper in the time that he lived in, knowing what he knows. In fact, I think that you can argue from the scriptures that he knew, truly knew what it meant to show love and grace to someone who in his mind would have wronged him. Because again, at the heart of the law of God is to communicate who God is and how he wants us and who we are and how we are to live in a way that honors him. Again, he's an Old Testament saint living under the law. But what does the law communicate? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And if Joseph, being in every right to condemn Mary to death, doesn't want to do that, I would argue that he's living out the love of God that was seen over and over in the scriptures. And while Joseph contemplates these things, it is, that is when we see him receive the rest of the story. And with this revelation, we see the promises of God that are highlighted in the coming birth of Jesus. You continue on in this passage in verses 20 through 23, you see the great fulfillment that is to come to pass. In verse 20, the truth of Jesus' conception is explained. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... Son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph was considering these things, the scriptures tell us, before he acted on them. That is, the wording behind there, the Greek word there talks about weighing the options, meditating on if this is the best course of action or not. And while he is still deliberating, we see God breaks into his life. He sends an angel, a personal messenger, to speak to Joseph in a dream. Again, that was not an uncommon thing. I mean, it wasn't like it happened to everybody, but it was a way that God communicated in this day and age. As Again, we read this in the New Testament, but really they're living in what we would call Old Testament times. He sends a message through the angel, and that message is very clear. There is no need for Joseph to fear in going forward with their marriage. He doesn't need to fear the shame that might come from something like this. He also doesn't need to fear that Mary has been unfaithful and therefore might be unfaithful again because she hasn't been. This is because the conception of Jesus in her is the work of God's spirit in her life. And God tells Joseph this is his work, God's work. So there's no need to fear what lies ahead. If you have walked with God any number of days, you probably understand this, that God does not always work in conventional ways, right? What does Isaiah, God say through Isaiah? His ways are not our ways. There are times when his paths and his plans are very different than the way we would have done it. 
Thank goodness for that. And this, in Joseph's life, Joseph's life is one of those times when, when this happens, when God does things in a way that does not make sense to us, please understand that God does not ask you to understand, God asks you to trust and follow him. And that's what he's asking Joseph to do here. He, he, he tells him what has happened. He doesn't tell him why he did it that way, although he, I guess he will here in a second. But he doesn't tell him all the details of how that's even possible. He says, you need to trust me and follow me and obey me. And as the angel calls for Joseph's trust and subsequent obedience, because obedience naturally follows trusting someone, he reveals who this baby will be. We see in verse 21 the promise of salvation that's made. The angel continues, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. The angel tells Joseph very clearly that Mary will bear a son. Now, Joseph and Mary, this, they couldn't go down to the local clinic in Nazareth and get an ultrasound, okay? The only person that could tell them this would be a boy is God. And God, through the angel, tells Joseph, this is what's going to happen. She's going to have a baby by the work of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to be a boy, and this is what you will name him. He is a pre-assigned name. And if you read throughout Scripture, this, this happens, you know, a couple of times, and in Scripture, names that were given by the Lord, whether a baby, before a baby was born or someone who was renamed by the Lord, these are a sign of God's work and a special mission for that person. And this is no different. This baby, his name is to be Jesus. Okay? I'm worried about you. Okay? His name is to be Jesus. And this is a very special name. The Hebrew equivalent to Jesus is Joshua. It is a name that means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh, if you aren't familiar with the Old Testament scriptures, is the special name that God gave for himself to his people, and it's a name that highlights, I am. I am the self-sufficient, uncreated God. That's what Yahweh communicates. And so the name Jesus means Yahweh saves, and so anyone with the name Joshua in the Old Testament uh, points to this idea that, that, his, that, his, that Yahweh saves his people. And Jesus' name points the people that would be with him to Yahweh, who is the only way of salvation. However, Jesus does more than just point people to Yahweh. Jesus is Yahweh. It's not just someone walking around with a name that reminds people that, hey, Yahweh saves. It's a name, it's someone who walks around with a name that says, I am Yahweh who saves. And Jesus in his ministry, we've seen this in the study of John, he was very clear about that he and the Father are one. Jesus is the way of salvation. Jesus is the people's salvation. The angel tells Joseph they're to name their child Jesus. Why? Because, he says, he will save his people from their sins. This is the greatest truth, that Jesus came to deliver mankind from the plague of sin and the curse of sin that came. Three weeks ago, I stood up here and shared with you the passage from Genesis chapter 3. We saw there the awful entrance of sin into this world. And we discussed in that passage the fact that Adam and Eve's sin brought terrible consequences on this earth and all of mankind. And because of Adam and Eve's sin, you and I today still deal with the consequences and live in sin. 
At the same time, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, we looked at the promise that was made by God that one day a deliverer would come and he would crush the head of the serpent. One day, one would come who would free mankind from sin. And with this message to Joseph in, in verse 21 of Matthew chapter 1, we see this, that God through the angel is now telling Joseph the time of that fulfillment has come. His name means Yahweh saves. And he, Yahweh, God the Son, will bring that salvation. He will be that salvation. This is the greatest salvation God can give to man. Salvation from the bondage, captivity, shame, regret, and consequences of sin. This would be Jesus' work. He would save his people, it says, from their sin. Now the people of Israel were a nation that was oppressed by outside forces. They were oppressed in the land of Egypt for 400 years until God liberated them from slavery. They, they, they lived in the land of Canaan. They disobeyed God and they were carried away by Assyria and Babylon and oppressed. When, when Jesus was born, they were occupied by the Roman government. And in their minds, what did they need salvation from? From the outside forces. God says what you need salvation from is your sin. And so Jesus came not to liberate the people from an outside occupational force. And though many looked to the Messiah for that, God promised them something far greater and far better. He promised them deliverance from their heart's condition of sin. He promised them an eternity with God through Jesus' finished work. And he promises that today, all who trust in Jesus will have that same deliverance in their life. He has come to save his people from their sins. And he could do this because there is more than one prophecy we see fulfilled here. We see the complete fulfillment in verse 22 and 23 of this prophecy spoken about in Isaiah. It says, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Matthew now tells us that that everything that has been said, Everything that's occurred from Mary's conception to to what they're going to name Jesus and everything that, that will occur fulfills this prophecy found in the Old Testament. Verse 23 comes directly from Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. That is a crucial prophecy in the book of Isaiah that points ahead to Jesus. There, a prophecy is foretold to King Ahaz of a virgin conceiving a child. In Isaiah 7, you'll find that it is a dark time in the nation of Israel, but God is giving a promise of a glorious future. It is a promise that the line of David would be preserved from which the Messiah would come. And so when when God says to the prophet Isaiah that a virgin will conceive and bear a son, the one who is born of the virgin is Jesus. Jesus is also the son then whose name, and it's not given as a name but more as a title here, of Emmanuel, God with us. That is why his name, his title, is Emmanuel. What does it highlight? It highlights Jesus' uniqueness. You understand that when Jesus was born, he was not just another baby who would eventually grow up to be another another man. He is God incarnate. He is God in human form. He He is quite literally God with us here on earth. He is 100% God and 100% man at the same time. 
Jesus, the Son of God and God himself, did not cease to be God when he came to earth. He took upon himself the form of man. He humbled himself, the scripture tells us, for us. He took on human flesh, living as one of us, experiencing all the things we experience in this life. Yet as God, he did so without sin. He did so that we could be, that, so that he could work on our behalf. You see, Jesus kept the law of God perfectly as God and man. Jesus then died on the cross for the sins of mankind as God and man. Jesus rose again from the dead as God and man. He gives us hope, life, peace, and confidence that Emmanuel, God with us, has done this for us. He has done what you and I cannot do. And therefore, he gives salvation to all who trust in him. He is the fulfillment of this great and wondrous prophecy, offering us great and wondrous life and hope. Everything we've talked about leads to this, that Jesus is God with us. And in this passage, we see what Joseph has just heard. And and doubtless, Joseph, being a Jew, has heard these things in his life. He's heard the scriptures. He's heard the promises. He's heard people talk about it. And now, an angel from God himself says, this is the child that Mary is going to bear. And the question we ask is, I mean, how would you respond to that? That's a lot to take in. And now Joseph and Mary must face a decision what they will do with everything they've just heard. She's heard these things from the angel and and responded. Now Joseph has heard these things. And so in verses 24 and 25, we see finally here the response of belief. We see in verses 24 and 25, Joseph and Mary's obedience to these things. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. It is no secret, nor is it hard to discover in the scriptures, that God's people were ever quick to distrust and disobey God. This is seen repeatedly throughout the selected Old Testament historical sections. So we are therefore glad to read of people like Joseph, a righteous man who wanted to obey God, obeying God yet again here. When Joseph awakes, he obeys God's message that was given through the angel. He takes Mary as planned, making her his wife. It's very possible here, by the way, that Joseph was violating the social customs of his day by not waiting the full betrothal period to marry Mary. Their marriage, then, has an unusual beginning. But it is the beginning that God planned for them and called them to. Joseph listened to what God said, and he believed it. And as I alluded to earlier, the proof that Joseph believed it is that he obeyed God. If you say you believe God and you trust God, but you don't obey God, you have some questions you need to answer in your heart. Joseph listened to God and obeyed him and Undoubtedly, there would be those who knew the story of the young couple but didn't have all the details. 
There would be those who realized Mary was pregnant before the marriage and they would wonder and gossip. And Yet Mary and Joseph did what was right because God told them this was what was right and they believed and trusted God. Therefore, when their child was born, we see that just as God commanded, they named him Jesus. God used this couple in his own unique way to make God with us a reality. And the reality of it is this. God doesn't need us, but he chooses in his grace and his love to use us. And he does so here with Joseph and Mary. He used Mary to bring about the conception and birth of God the Son. He used Joseph to protect Mary and his family as the earthly father of Jesus. Now, from a human earthly standpoint, Joseph is what we would call Jesus' stepfather, right? Or adopted father, whatever, however you want to use that. But the reality of what happened 2,000 years ago rings true still today with incredible ramifications for our lives. You have Joseph and Mary and their obedience to the things of the Lord, but, but let's talk about, just very quickly as we close today, our obedience to the reality of Jesus. Because today... The reality of obedience is still true and necessary. Joseph and Mary showed their faith and trust in God, obeying what he called them to do. They trusted in him, even if they might have feared what lay ahead. It is one thing, as we said a minute ago, to say you believe something. It is another thing entirely to act on that belief, obeying God. When it comes to salvation from sin and entering eternity and heaven with God, this is only found through complete trust and faith in Jesus alone for salvation. To not trust in Jesus alone is to disobey God. And disobedience to God brings the judgment of God. It means submitting yourself to him as the Lord of your life and Savior of your soul. And the reality is this. One day, the scripture tells us, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The problem is, if you wait until this life is over, it will be too late. Though you will acknowledge it, you will still suffer the eternal punishment for sin. God calls us to trust him today, to place our faith and trust in Jesus and his finished work. The reality is that Jesus is God with us. And the reality that Jesus is God with us, who paid the price of our sin and rose again to offer eternal life, there's the reality that makes us children of God through faith in his finished work. Of all the gifts that you can receive at Christmas, the gift of salvation from sin and deliverance into God's kingdom by faith alone in Jesus is the greatest gift that you and I can receive. And the scriptures are clear. It is a gift, for by grace you are saved through faith. This is the gift of God. God is gracious and he is loving 
And he offers you this salvation that will satisfy his holy and just nature. Because of Jesus, we have hope. Emmanuel, God with us, has come and given us the way to be with God. Jesus is Emmanuel. The fulfillment of God's greatest promises deserving of our personal faith and perpetual praise. All throughout the Old Testament, the people looked ahead to the coming of the Messiah. With Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14, they had a new title to attach to this promised victor, pictured substitute, and powerful ruler. The title was Emmanuel, God with us. And today, we celebrate the truth that Jesus, Emmanuel, has come. Jesus came to earth in human form. He gave himself for you and me, and you and I are born physically alive, but we are born spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. By God's incredible grace and love, you can be made alive in him. And if you have never responded in obedience to God, trusting in him, trusting in Jesus alone as the Savior of your soul and your only hope for eternity, you can do so today. The love of God is made manifest among us. God sent his only son to the world that we may live through him. And if you are here today and you belong to Christ, you have, you have placed your faith in him, I would ask that, that you would, would seek this of God. We would ask God that we would be awed by the magnificent work of God in our lives on our behalf. May we see the incredible, miraculous work of God anew, and may it challenge our hearts to live for his kingdom with his help today. Jesus is king, and he calls for his disciples to go into the world and work for the kingdom of God, declaring him Lord. Emmanuel, God with us, has forgiven our sin, changed our present reality, and promised us a glorious future. This is who Jesus is. This is the message of Christmas. This is what, what this is all about. It's about Jesus who has come, born to die upon Calvary, that we may live with him forever and live changed lives here on this earth for the glory of his kingdom. Father, thank you for the word of God and its power to change our lives. Thank you for the opportunity we've had to come and worship you together today. Lord, we ask and pray that what we have said and done here today would do just that. It would worship you. It would declare you as worthy of praise. And you would work in our hearts to stir us to a better, deeper relationship with you. Lord, you have created us as individual beings. You know every part of us better than we know ourselves. And so you know exactly what that what the message of what we've just read today means for each and every one of us in our lives. For some, it is an initial step of faith to place faith and trust in Jesus alone. For others, it is the next step of faith that they have come to know you, but they are not living for you, or they have not done this or that, or they are doing this, it needs to stop. Lord, I pray you would use your word to speak to our hearts. And you would use your Holy Spirit to empower us, to give us the grace and strength 
to do what it is we need to do for you. Help us, Lord, to submit ourselves to Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And help us as we go into this Christmas day tomorrow to keep the reason of Christmas, the, the, the celebration of Christmas of Jesus who has come on the forefront of everything we do and say and think. Lord, we pray that you would help us now as we close the service to continue to give you the honor and the glory. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.